Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Spamming Zero. I'm your host, James Gilbert. Today, we are joined by Dwayne Dufault. He is a revenue leader and a head of sales at OneBuild. We asked him the question that we ask every guest on the show about what he thinks about calling customer support. Here's what he said. He hits zero instantly. The first thing he thinks about is customer service. If he has to call a phone and it's anyone other than a human, after the first 30 seconds, he's already elevated. Man, can I relate to that. In his opinion, there are a couple of companies with semi-decent bots out there. For the most part, but there's no good way to get around your question unless you get to a human right away. Which is great because it's a shameless plug for Red Route. <laughs> but nonetheless, we are super excited to talk with him today about how sales and PLG can come together for a better experience. Dwayne thinks most companies just try to implement product-led growth without human intervention and assume that things are going to go well. They almost never do. But just look at some of the most giant companies ever created, and you'll see they have product-led growth and sales process perfected. More on that in the conversation ahead. First little note on Dwayne. Dwayne has four daughters, and his wife is a traveling nurse who works 3 a.m. to noon every single day. So it's exciting times at his house. And a fun fact, he can't understand why the heck we can't teleport yet. We might dive into that. Stay tuned for our chat with the one and only Dwayne Dufault. We'd like to thank our current sponsor of the month, Aircall. Aircall.io. Go check them out. Love what they do. They also just uh, reached 100 million in revenue, which is incredible. Uh, we partner with them. They're a big part of our ecosystem. Aircall is a cloud-based call center and phone system of choice for modern businesses. A voice platform that integrates seamlessly with popular productivity and help desk tools. Aircall was built to make phone support easy to manage and accessible, transparent, and collaborative. Aircall believes that a great conversation is the most powerful way to communicate with customers, prospects, candidates, and colleagues. We tend to agree. They are as equally invested with voice and sound as we are. I'm James. And I'm Brian. And this is Spanning Zero. The topic at hand today is about PLG. I want you to tell us tell us why humans need to be involved in a PLG motion. First of all, should PLG even exist, Brian? That's the real question. Well, you got me on the horn here, not Sam. Co-founder Sam is a <laughs> uh, avid, on the record, anytime anybody asks, uh, deterrent of PLG, I guess you would say. Is right, he... so he doesn't like the buyer-led process for like PLG and all that stuff? Well, his, I think so more to, he to just doesn't totally like the buzzwords. He doesn't like buzzwords. Yes, it's the buzzword. It's the buzzword <laughs> element of it. Yeah, I, I don't like buzzwords either. But So, yeah. so Sam but, calls it Sam calls it self-serve, right? Yeah. But it's the same concept. Okay. I think that what it represents and like the, the actions that it drives are all yeah. very good things. Like one of the things that I talk about all the time is – People are making buying decisions based on three criteria. One is the impact and the benefits they can receive. Two is the level of effort required to achieve that. And three is the like perceived certainty with which it can mm -hmm. be achieved. And a lot of the fundamentals of PLG speak to that second one of how much effort goes into it and like how much friction are you 
putting in the buying process. And I, I like that criteria because I have very similar ones. Uh, the impact one, I think, is probably one of the more more challenging ones to get people to understand because it comes from more of like the messaging and positioning of the product itself. But you can have a really easy to use tool, but then if they don't under, it, it doesn't connect or solve a big problem for them, then it's like you forget about it and you complain when the invoice comes back around. You got to go and cancel it. But with with self led or product led or whatever, it's been around since the '90s. It's not a new thing. Like that's why when you open up your Microsoft laptop and there's an update or you need to renew your uh, Office 365, it prompts you. You don't get a phone call. So it's like it's been around for the longest time in some of the biggest companies we've ever known. That's why you don't get a phone call from Apple unless you're a thousand person company who happened to breathe on their website. They want you to go in and buy something from them. You're going to get a phone call from somebody. Um, and so whether it's self-led or product-led or buyer-led, it's all the same concept of people want to do their own research and they want to know if they can get to a certain point without human assistance. And if they need human assistance for whatever reason, there's usually a frustration point there that needs to be solved in the product. So with that being said, there are certain industries and markets where self-led or product-led is needed. If I'm going in and buying a tech tool, if I have to go through a discovery call, I'm going to be pissed. Like, I don't need to be guided through this demo. If I have to ask you as a salesperson a specific question, I'm frustrated at your marketing and your product teams because you couldn't describe it well enough on the website for me to get my answer. And I don't need a 45-minute walkthrough of 19 things I don't care about. I want to know if it's going to do this one specific thing. Understand your buyer before you put a self-led process in place. Okay. <clears throat> we got to demo that <laughs> I could go on. No, I no. can go on. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to we keep be going on. Yeah, we're going to keep going on. I, I got to double down on this whole whole idea of like, all right, well, you're 100% right on the idea of you're frustrated with the fact that it wasn't messaged well enough for you mm -hmm. to get your answer. Yeah. All right. Riff time. Here we go. I am a chief marketing officer for Red Route. I'm not a writer, though. I'll tell you that. Brian knows that. He knows why. Right. Um, I'm, I'm working at it. It's a it's a skill that takes time and lots of effort and practice with. But here's what overrated requirement for a CMO. Oh, yeah, totally <laughs> overrated requirement. But here's what I will if say. They, if they got creativity and data, then they are checking all the boxes. <laughs> but here's what I will say. How about we stop writing crap on our websites that is just absolute garbage and only we internally understand it? Like, come on. Are we really still doing this? Like, it's funny because when you you bring up an incredible, like, small item in my mind that a business can tackle, and that's simplifying yeah. the language on a website so that it's mm -hmm. crystal clear. And there's still, you go to websites today all over the place, and they use, like, filler words and technical jargon, and it has one yep. purpose, to try to drive SEO. And let me tell you something. Plug here. For us, because mm -hmm. I do think this is something that is very, very real. Voice search is how we speak. It's not how we write. Mm -hmm. And if it is now taking over Google search, what does that mean for our content? And what does that mean for our websites? It absolutely mm -hmm. means that it needs to be written in a way that you speak. And there are writers, there are people that have been doing this for way longer than I have, way better experts than me when it comes to writing that still argue this what do you say to them the only thing i would say is one yes i do not like reading things that it's hard for me to say out loud 
Uh, I am not a writer and I'm not a very uh, a good talker. <laughs> but the way I write best is when I do talk into my phone. Uh, that's when I also talk the best too. So I'm the most articulate when I have to tell Siri what to tell this other person. But with that being said, my only concern with that is, are we fighting against the algorithm that the Googles and the Facebooks and the search engines are promoting? Like, are we ignoring, uh, and I, I don't have the answer to the question, but it's like, if we do put the verbose language on our landing pages that encourages, you know, organic and, you know, high, high valued SEO, then the algorithms inside of the search engines like that. But if we're only, if we're writing our copy in the way that we talk, that goes against that kind of that verbose language, are we hurting ourselves by not ranking against the algorithm? And so is there a happy medium? Like that would be my question for, for you guys or anyone that kind of does that stuff. Cause I'm on the sales and I'm on the, the go-to-market side, which is like, we, we tend to craft strategy and then be on the, the recipient of those leads that come in. But uh, I'm always trying to figure out like how we can, optimize our stuff for the algorithm while not confusing our buyer. But I always feel like those are two competing interests. I don't know if they are though, because I mean, think about it. Like, you, you have like, you're in on the front lines of selling. So if you yeah. have to sell it, that means you have to have a crystal clear elevator pitch that everyone understands too. So ultimately yeah. like your mm-hmm. SEO efforts mean absolutely jack garbage. If you don't close business, <laughs> drive all the traffic true. you want, right? What yeah. The freak matters. <laughs> So you're so basically what you're saying is something that I think I think you're saying is what I agree with is uh, it's a conversation and argument that I have with marketers all the time is when they're when they're focused on MQLs and sales is having to sit in the results of what their definition of MQLs are and they're actually driving leads and traffic that don't actually buy from you they're getting captured from the algorithm from some of the cool words that are on the website but in reality they're not buyers that we want to talk to I do think there is still and likely will be for a very long time a fundamental problem with yeah top of funnel leads that get generated which ties back into the plg motion that in some cases like the people that would be accessing the product as a self-serve model might actually not be the right people to begin with so that's like i agree that could potentially be the tie-in of why it maybe should be sales-led but I will also tell you my perfect world is like never talk to a salesperson. There's plenty of environments where I, I, I feel the same way. I'm perfectly <laughs> happy going, but, I, but I, I definitely think there's a limit of the ACV. Like how much money are we asking people to buy with the level of trust that a self-led process is developing? I do feel that the sales led or the human element does have a trust factor that it's hard to get from a certain type of buyer and a certain type of um, a certain level of ACV. Like if you're in the, you know, multiple five figures, if you're asking someone to spend fifty, sixty thousand $60,000 a year, you know, there should probably be a person on there just to give them that, that certainty that we're talking about that the self-led brings. But if you're, if, if, if it's a hundred dollars, $300 a month, like that's a high cost to put on one customer to send a salesperson to call multiple times a day, does does a demo, does a CSM work, like all that stuff. And so there's, I think there's a, uh, there's a line there where if the ACV is high enough, the level and the value that a human is giving is more on the certainty and trust side, not so much reducing the effort and the impact. Like if you've got the messaging, right, they understand the impact. If the product team does a good enough job, then the effort shouldn't be a monumental lift in order to get the product up. 
the only last thing to do is just that confirmation and certainty that can could come from a human person, human human person, like an alien. But um, <laughs> hopefully that makes sense. I think that the last thing that you said there is where I was going to take it a little bit, right? The certainty and the trust. Mm -hmm. To me, having a conversation with a brand of any kind, B2B, B2C, whatever, it should be a luxury and not a requirement. Yeah. Right? I think that really what both of you are driving at here is you get forced into the, the discovery call with a salesperson when you're trying to buy whatever tool, mostly in a B2B environment. It shouldn't be, right? It shouldn't be forced, right? That, that's the mm -hmm. real issue. And it should really be ideally a luxury that is available to you when you want the certainty, when you want the trust, when there are very like specific personalized custom answers that yep. you want to get. It is a, should be a great addition to the experience. If, for example, if, if I'm on a, if I'm exploring a tool and it's hard for me to get to a human, that's a concern for me. I shouldn't have to fight to go through some weird Zendesk ticket response system to where I get an email two days later at two o'clock in the morning to know if my answer is going to, you know, my question is going to get answered. Like that's not a great experience. That doesn't, that doesn't give me a high level of certainty and trust that if shit goes wrong in two months, I'm going to actually get it fixed. Uh, but at the same time, if you're not showing pricing on the website and the only CTAs are to book a call with a salesperson and it's a long drawn out discovery call that leads into a demo that leads into a closing call that leads into an implementation, I'm like, is this going to be the same way it is every time I need something from them? So there's like, there's definitely, like, I like the way you put it. It's a luxury, but not a requirement because every buyer has their own process and every buyer likes to kind of take themselves through their own buying behavior for lack of a better term and if we're only shoving them down one funnel that's extremely rigid you're mess you're missing out on a large portion of the market and nothing degrades trust like a vendor or a brand that is hiding from their customers oh yeah right? it, like if, if especially you're to avoid me then like <laughs> that is not or you're not trying to like it's it, and the whole thing with like SaaS, right so in the vc land they're all about um upsells expansion constantly selling them like csms no longer you know make sure the customer is happy successful and using the product focus on reducing churn it's like oh cool let's get them in land and expand get them in on an annual contract six months in let's make sure they're using it oh we're not going to take care of you we're just going to sell you anytime you need help you're going to get your passed over to your csm or your 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 account manager and it's like i don't i want to be sold i i want my team to get trained and get taken care of so that way i actually stick with you guys um and then hiding renewals inside of you know long form a micro copy inside of a weird email that gets sent out to your accounting team. That's an unchecked email 60 days before the renewal. Oh, uh, it's, it's, it's rampant. It's all over the place. And it's like, they're basically strong arming customers into sticking into their product long-term and having big legalese when it comes to the renewals of like, Oh no, we charge you $22,000 because you didn't send in this random email 60 days prior, letting us know you were going to cancel. And I'm like the buying process for your tools two weeks. Why the hell would I do that 60 days before? Like, <laughs> So there's like just these competing interests when it comes to not only the sales process and how we get people on, but it's like how we're maintaining our healthy customer base on the back end. You know, it's interesting. You bring, you brought up marketing and that, mm -hmm. and then we brought up sales and then we brought up CS mm -hmm. and you know, I, I, it's the fundamental problem in my mind, like of businesses not properly mapping the journey and understanding the true customer journey full cycle. Like yep. the siloed approach of how marketing approaches the top of funnel, we need to get their attention. That's it, right? That's the experience that they're responsible for. And in some cases it's mm -hmm. post-purchase sales is responsible to try to like, okay, we got to get them and get them to 
sign the check and give us a contract. And then once that happens, it's handed over to the customer success um, or customer service team. And oftentimes the support team, which is very rarely talked about in this siloed approach, are the ones that have to handle all of the chaos. Oh, yeah. So the agents and the contact centers and things like that, they're the ones that have to handle all the chaos, all the empty promises that marketing made that sales then had to try to sell them on, right? And yep. I feel like the fundamental problem to all of this isn't necessarily whether PLG should be sales-led, but I don't think it's the fundamental problem of PLG being sales-led. I think it's more so a fundamental business problem of a siloed approach to yep, 100%. the handoff of the customer experience. And the customer experience needs to be full cycle. It needs to involve everyone that touches the customer. Brian, you know this. Yep. Like We talk about this all the time, how important it is. Like Every touch point of a, of a customer is an opportunity to create the product of what the brand is and what it represents. Yep. I agree. Like It's... The conversation I have from a revenue perspective is that everyone seems to think that they're doing their own thing and they're operating, they're making their micro optimizations because it's marketing. Oh, it's because it's sales or it's, yeah, it's like, no, it's, it's the customer experience. Like you said, it has to be each one of the touch points from the different departments with their own responsibility needs to understand how it's going to impact the customer's experience down the line, whether it's two months, six months, six years, whatever it is. And, and we have to constantly be looking at every opportunity that we have with the customer as the way to, to add more value, make them, help them be happy and successful inside of our product. Um, but also the other side of things is be okay if we're not the best for them. Like, and too many companies can't come to terms with, oh, they don't like us. It's like, too bad. Like, go talk to the people that you want to work with and understand their journey through the whole process and know that your first touch is also going to be equal to the last touch. Like, there's there's a huge issue when it comes to siloed department behavior and how we're interacting with each other and, and marketing's not getting the feedback from sales, sales not getting the feedback from CS, no one's paying attention to the support, marketing's over in La La Land playing arts and crafts because CS doesn't talk to them. Like <laughs> like like uh it's it's ridiculous. Like it happens everywhere. And and unfortunately, you know, the, the VC land, we've got all these, you know, uh one once or two time founder CEOs who got lucky that got a couple million dollars who sits in this VC board that are like, Hey, this is how I did it and and then we've got the opposite end where we've got these big CEOs who got a good payout of $100 million from a company they exited that was built by somebody else and they just manage it. And then they put their money in and they're like, nope, this is how it's done. This is how you get efficiency. I'm like, is anyone talking about the customer? It's ridiculous. There's a wild so, take that I heard the other day. Okay. So everybody right now is focused on retention because like dips in a potential recession and all that, right? You even yeah. mentioned the fact VCs are focused on this and it's true. They are. They're focused on retention rather than acquisition. So if that's the case... What if like businesses shift their model and instead sales and marketing is held to a retention number? So if I'm sales, how do I mm -hmm. affect that? I can't directly affect it. I'm not going to get a spiff on the deal. But you know what I will get a spiff on is making sure that whatever I'm promising can actually be delivered. Like maybe that's the secret sauce. Like that's the take that I heard the other day. Some of it with my own little flavor right now, but... Like, seriously, like, if you really think about it, sales and marketing uh, being held to that retention side and, and if customer success is not successful in maintaining the customer, then that's on marketing and sales just as much as it is on anyone else. I, I love the concept. And in trying to put it in practice, which I've, I've tried to do a few times, we run into a lot of human behavior issues. <laughs> like, you have to have an entire company that's self-aware in order for that to function because... 
it, ruining my dreams here, Dwayne. Come on now. Well, I know it's it's no, it's because I, I I love the concept because like one of the things I like doing is I like building comp plans for sales teams that are based on their churn within six months. So like, if if they their churn percentage defines their next quarter's commission payout. So if they're bringing on bad business, then they're not going to get paid as much going into the next quarter. And so their type of business they're bringing in ultimately impacts the way they're making their money. So I have a question for you, taking it in a slightly yeah. different direction. You're looking at different organizations all the time, right? And I always love that vantage point. When mm -hmm. you go into a situation and like churn is the problem and you kind of, you look at the high level data, you focus in on churn. What's going on in these organizations where churn becomes the problem? Like what are those kind of common threads that you've been able to put together across all these different companies you've looked at? People don't cancel because your price. I'll just say that first and foremost. One of the biggest arguments is that people, people churn because sales didn't do their job or they're paying too much. It's like, no, you'd be amazing what you can get people to pay for if you're actually solving a real problem. But churn from my, from my experience, they either have a poor relationship and don't trust you or they're not getting what they need from the product. And there's a plethora of ways to go after fixing those things. But nine times out of 10, churn isn't the fault of sales because they didn't. Now, there are those cases where people are, you know, overly slick salespeople. They have that sell me this pen mentality and they can get, you know, they can sell a ketchup popsicle to women in white gloves. I get that. That does exist. And that's really unfortunate. But <laughs> Tommy Boy reference, by the way, um, <laughs> best sales movie of all time. But it's it's usually those those two those two things where they don't have any trust. They lack certainty in the in the company or the brand or they're literally just not getting what they need from the product and it doesn't solve their needs uh and there's ways to solve both of those things but it takes time it takes energy it takes research it takes it stepping out of getting out of the way and removing ego from the product and the process to understand what the buyers actually need like those are the, the, okay. the two two biggest reasons that i've seen why there is a high level of churn and then circling that trust one and going yeah. like if you were to go one level deeper into that what are the things that degrade trust not having the human element for other humans to connect with like let's be real if if i've got to submit a ticket to ask a basic problem that i'm going to get a response two days later like i don't trust you if i can't if i can't find and this is old school stuff this old if i can't find a contact us number and dial the phone and connect with a human and if, I, if i've got to go through 19 prompts just to get to a recording to then start all over again i'm really questioning my next invoice because I value the trust and certainty I get from being able to talk to another human other than a robot. Yeah, robots are great, AI and all that stuff. But if I need to be able to connect with the people behind the brand in a reasonable amount of time to get my fears and anxieties taken care of from a business person. I think a lot of fear yeah. and anxiety, though, with this, especially with PLG, is sometimes self-inflicted. Like, mm -hmm. I do fundamentally believe, by the way, that of the natural way in which plg i think came to be which is like give people access to your product as soon as you can let them get mm -hmm. in there and then maintain them that's the whole premise of plg right and so yeah i do fundamentally believe that the quicker you can get your product in front of people if it's ready the better <laughs> right but i do think that part of the stickiness with that is is having the process to make sure that the experience once they have access to the product is good and that there there's FAQs that there's how to videos that there's a place that they can turn to like a community or a Slack mm -hmm. channel where they can get immediate responses. I do think that those things are what create the stickiness of what yeah. PLG was meant to be. 
And I think oftentimes people go forward with a PLG motion or a self-serve motion and they don't have the stickiness of what is needed once the product is in their hands. Absolutely agree. They, they go through with this weird definition of product-led growth and they think, oh, just get them into a trial and the product will sell itself. What does that even mean? Like the product, the product doesn't sell itself. The, the buyer finds what they need early enough to where their buy-in is done in the first three to four days. Like if you can't get someone to an activation step inside of the product in the first three to four days, you kiss them goodbye. Now, I will say that one asterisk because certain markets are not as tech savvy. They're not as they're not as uh, um, affluent when it comes to new technologies. Unfortunately, 90% of tech Shout companies out to sell the financial tech services companies. industry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And blue collar, <laughs> blue collar. Uh, construction type industries too. One of the last companies I helped scale served construction industries. It was an SMB purely led product led growth, all that stuff. Bootstrap took them from 2 million to 11 and a half to an acquisition of three, 320 million in three Let's and a half go. years. Yeah. So it was like, you got to figure this shit out. And if you all, if you have to understand your buying behavior, you have to understand your market. So if you're selling, if your ideal customer is a CTO at a tech company and you're forcing them into a discovery call, good luck. Like, you've got to have a way for them to get in and poke around and do their own thing with little app cues along the way that shows them little aha moments. Like the, the whole thing with, with self-led or buyer-led, whatever the hell you want to use buzzword on it. It's um, like James, you said, it's, it's great in theory and in its infancy when people really started to buy into it, but it's kind of been extrapolated over this thing where people just put this process in place and then hope that people buy and they never get to the field of dreams at the end of the 14 days. Like to me, the biggest fallacy of PLG and right. <laughs> unpacking the buzzword to say like, what does, what does it really mean? When you look at the companies that are the famous PLG companies, you look at the Slack, yeah. you look at the Dropbox, you look at the Calendly's of the world. Yeah. What they did Right, the, the, the piece of the equation that they cracked, which made it, which took it from being like a, a good optimization and like improvement and better experience, blah, blah, to being like they are who they are. They are the household names and they did it on the backs of PLG. The yeah. real unlock for them was that the product was driving acquisition of new customers. So when we talk about PLG and we talk about like, let's make the customer experience through the purchasing process and the onboarding process more smooth and self-serve and like all the different ways that that can be achieved. All of that is great. And every company should be mm -hmm. thinking about that and should be deliberate about that. But the hype train around PLG, mm -hmm. like you don't become Slack by doing that, right? The thing that they cracked, Calendly, Slack, you name it, they found a way for the product to drive top of funnel. And that is such a big distinction that gets lost in all of the noise around the buzzword. It's really unfortunate because no one really knows the story behind any of those companies. They just see what they see now and they're like, oh, that's how you do it. And it's like, no, every single one of those companies started as another company. Every single one of them started with someone on the phone asking questions and saying, hey, can you go start a trial? Hey, can you go start a trial? Hey, can you go start a trial? And then the biggest thing they did, all of them, all of those original unicorns, I say original because now you have a whole bunch of companies that have merged that have now become a unicorn. So they all can kick rocks. Uh, but anyways, so they, the biggest thing they did was they removed their ego. They didn't build a product for themselves and they looked at the data. That's the big, biggest things that any founder or any company trying to scale to do is get out of your own way. If you just 
get people in to get exposed and stop chasing the high ACV right away and just know that the first six to 12 months is all going to be about collecting data and understanding how to position it better for them. That's when magic happens because then that's when people start getting in and start self-activating. That's when people start doing their own thing. That's when you understand who you're going to market to. That's then you have a level of virality because then they tell their friends and it's like, Right now, they just everyone wants to jump to that perfect self-led activation steps where they want to force people down the specific funnel in a rigid process. And they're like, why aren't people buying? It's like you're creating friction in their own process and you're not aligning with the way that they want to use the product. Get out of your own way and ask them what they want to do. I think that the job of an early stage company is like really the North Star, the metric that you're optimizing for is like speed of learning. And yeah. it's not necessary. It's not necessarily right. You don't even know what the you don't know if it's users. You don't know if it's revenue. You don't know what it's ultimately going to be and what the drivers of the business are going to be. And really, what you're optimizing for is learning to yeah. get to those answers as quickly as you can to then be able to start like testing bigger hypotheses around what you think the drivers of the business are going to become. I love that you said learning. There's an app. It's a language learning app. And it's got some of the most amazing self-led processes in there. They went five years before they collected any money for it. All they did was just launch, feedback, iterate, launch, feedback, iterate, launch, feedback, iterate for five years. And it's, it's insane. Their, their, their gamification inside of the app, the way that you move through the different programs, the way you get the aha moments and keep going. And then you got the, the dopamine hit when you do something, it's just, you're constant and you just want more and more. I'm like, that's got to be one of the best product-led growth or self-led growth businesses that I've ever seen. And they held back for five years from ever charging a dime for that app. And we run into the issue, like you said, the learning moment. Learning takes time. You have to understand how all of your ideal buyers learn. They got to understand, do they like videos? Do they like app cues? Do they like long app cues? Do they like nudges? Do they like guides? And you'll never know unless you give it time. And you have to give each one of these tests like four to six weeks of actual exposure to the buyers to understand if it's working or not. And rather than waiting a week and be like, oh, this didn't work and then changing, it's like you're just constantly going to be changing because your, your data set's never going to be big enough for you to understand if it's working. Um, and then that's where we come back to VC land of adding the unnecessary pressure to hit double, triple, double, triple bullshit. Like you're, you're never <laughs> going to get to that point because everyone's being impatient as hell to try to grow as fast as they can. And they're just screwing up an entire marketplace because you're running your brand through the dirt because you're treating your customers like shit. Like, that's why 90% and 95% of startups fail because they're trying to chase this magical unicorn that just doesn't exist unless they slow down and actually listen to their customer base. So, yeah. And I think the right way to channel that like VC speed mindset is to break it down to, right, you talked about experiments and yeah. to think about, right, what do we actually need in order to test this experiment and get the learning yeah. that is going to come out the other side of it? So, what, what we talk about and what we advocate for is, what exactly needs to exist and then what data exactly are we looking at on the other side of that experiment and how can we shorten the amount of effort that is required up front to get to that learning, right? So yeah. to optimize the speed of learning in the approach that you're taking and understand, right? Like in the beginning, 98% of the things that you build, you're going to end up throwing out because they're experiments that you're learning and then you decide to go in a different direction. Like the idea that the first thing you build is going to be the holy grail is that doesn't happen ever. So it's like, okay, how can we 
pare down the requirements around this, understand exactly what we need to test and what the outcomes are that we're looking for, get that shipped five times quicker. And then in that way, you're shortening the learning cycle and you're moving faster as a business. Oh, spending 12 months to build a single feature and then not actually <laughs> getting any feedback in the front. Yeah, uh, I've been a part of that company too. It's the patience. There's patience and ego in the product. They they build the product for themselves and then if they can't get it out fast enough and the people don't like it fast enough, then they wanna change it right away and they get offended. And, and it's, it's it, the too many companies are founded by the person doing the engineering. There are too many companies are founded by the people doing designing of the specific product. And I'm not saying it's not wrong, but I think what that ends up happening is we have people that build themselves into the product and then struggle with getting the actual feedback they want to hear because then they're just looking for the confirmation bias. Well, this person told me that this is what we should be doing. And I'm like, but that person doesn't meet the ideal buyer that we're trying to go after. If And so it's, I think there's just this domino effect when it comes to anything we're building in, a, in an app, like taking self-led, product-led, whatever. It's literally just choosing five actions that a user is going to experience in the first time they log in or three and letting that ride for a couple of weeks, see what happens, just see what happens. But you need to understand what the results you're looking for. Like what does success mean? And then knowing that to ship it a functional shipment and knowing what success means after that is the most important thing because you can iterate on that rather than just trying to ship this giant thing. And then it flopping because you don't, you took too long, the market shifted, all that stuff. Like one of the things I constantly tell in any management situation, leadership, companies, coaching is clearly communicating expectations. That is to teams, that is to users, that is to marketing, that is to anybody. The more you can communicate and clearly communicate the expectations of what the user is going to experience inside of the app. If you are a new company and your website is overly verbose about all the cool shit you can do, but then they get in the app and it's like a flop, that's that's the way you positioned it. But if you clearly communicate like, hey, we're a startup, we're going in and here's a beta, go in and try this. Some of the things are broken. We'd love to get your feedback. You're going to get the human element, the human, the, the, the human nature of people wanting to give back to you and going in after these things. Dwayne, thank you for joining us on the show today. 